Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 486. We got Dave Stahoviak back, and he is bringing the goods. I've gotten to know Dave pretty well over the last couple of years, and he is a master at building great relationships. So we are going to dig into his brain and hear how it's done. So you'll learn, one, the productivity hack that helps you be more present, two, the underappreciated value of small talk, and three, what to do when you don't like networking. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep486. Now, here's Dave's story. Dave Zahoviak is the host and founder of Coaching for Leaders, a top-rated leadership podcast downloaded over 10 million times. With more than 15 years of leadership at Dale Carnegie and a thriving Global Leadership Academy, Dave helps leaders discover practical wisdom, build meaningful relationships, and create movement for genuine results. He has served clients including Boeing, the University of California, and the United States Air Force. Forbes named him one of the 25 professional networking experts to watch. Big thanks to Dave for coming back on the show, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Dave. Dave, welcome back to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Pete, thanks for the invitation. I'm pleased to be here. Well, it is always a pleasure to talk to you, whether it's being recorded or not. <laughs> so it's been a lot of good, fun things have happened uh, since uh, you last appeared on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. And I'm anxious and excited to talk about building uh, relationships because I think you're really a master at this. Uh, but first, I want to talk about your relationship with your wife, Bonnie, who is also a podcaster. What is that like? Well, Bonnie and I are just best friends. Uh, we just have had the best time together as a couple uh, in the 15, 16 years that we've known each other now. And the question I often get from people is they say, what is it like to work with your spouse? And I suppose it's a hard question to answer because I don't know anything different, right? Mm -hmm. And I just have found it to be a tremendous blessing for me, and I think she would say the same thing, that we both work in related fields, we both uh, host podcasts, and the amount of learning and perspective that I get from her on any given week or month when we're talking about things is just tremendously valuable to me. And I think she would say the same uh, for 
things that I help her with. And so we are better together, way better together than either of us would be separately from a business standpoint, but also more importantly, all the personal things too. I want to get your big picture, I guess, start with your philosophy when it comes to beginning and building relationships. And and I mean primarily like professional relationships, but friendships can count too. As I've just sort of watched you over these years, it's pretty clear that you're very good at this. And, and I want to kind of first dig into sort of what's your mindset or philosophy when it comes to people, networking, connecting, relationship building, that whole world. Well, thank you very much for the kind words, first of all, because I do feel very much like this was a learned skill. It was not something I was naturally good at a good portion of my life. And to answer your question directly, philosophy, I think it really comes back to something that I learned from Zig Ziglar back when I used to listen to his tapes driving around in my pickup truck years ago, that you can have everything in life you want if you will just help enough other people get what they want. And so I really tried to build my relationships around that. I and we have really tried to build our business around that of how do we help and serve others well. And if we do that really well, and our heart and our intention is there consistently, that the other things sort of take care of themselves. And I think largely I found that to be very true throughout my career, that if I can get over worrying about myself, <laughs> which is not always <laughs> easy to do, right? But if I can get past that human trap that we all find ourselves in, and on my better days of really think about how do I serve people well? that those are the times that I do my best work. And when I'm worried about myself or I'm thinking about just business or things like that first, then I don't do as well. And that's very much been my experience too throughout my career when I've made big missteps. That's where I've fallen short. And can we sort of zoom into your, your brain and your internal self-talk a bit in terms of what are some uh, sort of self-oriented kind of internal conversations versus service-oriented internal conversations? Because I imagine it, it's entirely possible to be performing the same tasks with a, a different worldview or philosophy. Yes, of course. And I, for years, was an instructor for Dale Carnegie. And one of the questions that would come up around the book that Carnegie's known for, which is How to Win Friends and Influence People, which, by the way, is a marvelous book and everyone should read it if you haven't. Uh, the question that would often come up in, in training programs was, well, couldn't you use these tactics and strategies in this book to manipulate people? And the answer is, of course you can. Of course you could. Uh, anything, just about any principle, you, and the things you talk about on the show here, Pete, could be used for nefarious reasons. And so I really like, when I think about great relationships and the relationships in my life that are really amazing, and Bonnie is probably the best example of that, I really do try to think of both parties benefiting from it. And I see it as kind of like a pendulum. Uh, uh, on one side of it, and we've all had this, where we've had relationships where the other party seems to benefit a lot from the relationship, and we don't <laughs> very much. And if that happens consistently over time, it breeds a lot of resentful feelings uh, in ourselves about that relationship. And then the opposite end of that is that I benefit a ton from the relationship and the other party doesn't or benefits very little from it. 
And that's, to me, manipulation. If I go into a relationship with the intention of I'm going to get as much out of this relationship as I can, and I don't really care that much about whether the other party gets anything out of it, then that's manipulative. And you can, the same tactics can apply in both those situations. The difference is the mindset. And so what I am trying to do most of the time is to zero in on the center, which is how do I create relationships where I get something of value? And the other party gets something of value too. And that is where I think the sweet spot really is of it's not so much that the tactics, the strategies, the things you would do, the things you would say, the questions you may ask are substantially different, but it's the intention behind it. It's the intention of wanting to see both people do well, both organizations do well if it's organization, organization. And that is where I think the art is in really trying to do that consistently. Well, you know, I've just been re-listening to Stephen Covey's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And I I hear his voice, uh, think win-win in my head right now as as you're unpacking this. And that's really dead on. And it's interesting, even if you are doing a lot of benefiting, it's sort of like, I feel bad either way. (laughs) You know, it's like, I'm not getting much value out of this. Or uh, I am getting too much... (laughs) From this relationship, I have. Uh, I'm thinking about a time I I emailed uh, Scott Anthony Barlow. Oh yes, our mutual pal of the Happen to Your Career podcast, which is excellent. And I remember one time I said, "You've just done so much for me. The urge to reciprocate is is very strong within me. So, is there anything that you need?" So, and it was it was cool. And, you know, he said, hey, "Oh, reciprocation. You know, that, that's kind. I feel the same way. You know, thank you." So, and I think that's that's really a beautiful thing. It's it just sort of like almost like an embarrassment of riches. It's like you are, are are receiving so much, and then the other person is also receiving so much. And I think sometimes we might uh, discount our own contributions to others, uh, especially if there's maybe some self esteem issues in the mix. So, yeah, I, I'm right with you. Indeed, having lots of value both ways. Yeah, indeed, and I, and you also allude to a point which I think is really important of that in the micro moment of a particular interaction or a particular season or a particular week or a project that this balance may not always be there, right? But it's over the course of the relationship long term. And, you know, coming back to Bonnie, speaking about, you know, something that's long term for a lot of us is our partnerships and marriage in our case of there are absolutely times and even seasons in our life and our, our marriage where one party has benefited more from something else and uh, than the other party did, right? Or something was really inconvenient to someone in their career at that time because someone else made a choice to do something differently. And we've both been on both sides of that. So there are times that it's felt, there are certain things that have felt more resentful. And there's also times that things have felt like, oh my gosh, like I'm getting more, <laughs> I'm getting more benefit than she is. What I think is really key is to think about the big picture, like over the course of months and years of are we pretty well balanced on this as a relationship as a whole. And I think that's where the greatest beneficial relationships, friendships over time come from is really finding ways for not just in individual interaction, but over time for both parties to really feel like they're getting something that's truly, truly valuable to each person. And I'm curious how you go about sort of eliciting, questioning, discovering Uh, what really would be the most valuable to people? Questions are the things that I tend to start with is I think very little about script anymore. And I think a lot about structure. And so let me explain that. When I started my uh, years ago, I was 
working with Dale Carnegie and my job was to go out and to talk to people who were taking classes through our programs. And uh, my boss at the time said, you need to go and have a conversation with every single person who enrolls in one of our courses and sit down with them one-on-one. This was before the days of video conferencing. And so I would drive all around Southern California every day and I'd go have these meetings. And sometimes I had six, seven meetings in a day. It would be half hour, 45 minute meetings. And what I discovered over the course of doing this several years and iterations of meeting after meeting, day after day, week after week, is the conversations where I really found like I ended up serving people well and we built a good connection and we had a great relationship and they actually got more out of the experience were the conversations that I didn't walk into with a script, but I walked into with the intention of how can I discover as much about this person in the next 25 or 30 minutes as possible. And then at the very end, you know, help to maybe make a few connections as far as how we could help. And those conversations would go really well for the most part, where I would stumble and have a lot more difficulty, especially early on as I started to do that, as I'd walk in with a script. I'd walk in with exactly what the questions were going to be or where I was going to go next and having overthought the interaction instead of just coming in with intention and curiosity. And so iterations of that year, year after year, I found that if I come in with a structure of thinking about how can I discover more about this person? and I set aside the script, that 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 curiosity, that genuine desire to learn would end up bringing us some really wonderful places that would help that person to get a lot from the relationship. And then, of course, you know, we would benefit, too, because they do work with us. You know, I'm thinking we had a, a guest, uh, Rob Jollis, who, who did a lot of sales training, and he sort of said, you know, they, they pay me all these money to go around and, and, and talk about how to sell better, but it really just boils down to ask questions and listen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's what I found on the receiving end of uh, I guess potential sales conversations. It's like the folks who who do that, I go, "Yes, this person cares about me. They get me. They're trying to to give me the best they can." And those who don't, I don't have a lot of rapport or goodwill. It's it's just it's sort of like Hurry up and tell me the price yeah, <laughs> so I yeah. can end this conversation. <laughs> well, it, it's funny you bring that up as, as a sales interaction. Uh, we have to have a bunch of work done on our house for a situation I won't bore you with. And it's not that interesting, but we ended up spending a bunch of time talking to contractors this week. And I is one of those things. I had three different contractors come in one day to talk through this, uh, this situation. And it's just fascinating watching the different processes of how people approach influencing, right? Because they all, of course, want you to do business with them. And some people have their script. They know exactly what they're going to say in what order for the most part. And they may go off it a little bit. And then, uh, and one person in particular came in and said, tell me what questions you have and what's important to you in this project and started there. And it was a totally different kind of a conversation. And that's just it's one aspect of, of it. But what you said a minute ago, Pete, of just the importance of listening, but then also being curious and being at willing to ask the second or third question and listening for meaning and what someone is not saying. Those are the things that tend to open up a really wonderful, if not a relationship, at least an understanding between two people that I think is really missing in a lot of interactions, certainly in our North American business culture. That's really good stuff. And and I'd love to hear then, they asked uh, that contractor, what's important to you? And, and that was powerful. One of the things 
you've asked me a couple times as as I kind of I'm I'm rattling on about an issue, and you just sort of say, "Well, what are you trying to accomplish here?" Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh yeah," <laughs> and it really just brings a bundle of clarity in a hurry, and, it, and it's so basic and fundamental. And I often kind of forget to ask that. I'm wondering, are there any other kind of power questions that that seem to do volumes when it comes to producing uh, that insight? Well, a couple. Uh, So one of them, to connect to what you just said, I find, and the work I do especially, which is a lot of coaching, facilitation, helping leaders get better through conversation is really the focus of my work. I often find that we get down into the minutia of something and it's easy to lose sight of the big picture. So I do often find myself bringing people back to kind of the 35,000 foot level saying, you know, what are you trying to accomplish in this? Like big picture, like three months from now, what would be a success here? And it is easy to get caught up in the minutia of the individual meeting or the individual moment and to lose sight of that big picture. And I think to the work of David Allen, the best-selling author of Getting Things Done, and I really love his two principles. I, I think he's he said that there's really only two problems that people have. One is, where are you going? And then secondly is, what's the next step? And so much of what I find, especially in my work with leaders, is those two things. It's interesting how often there isn't clarity on especially the first one, where are we going? (laughs) And then the next step, uh, one or both of those is not clear. And when the clarity comes through a few of those questions, then the tactical stuff kind of comes together. It makes sense. Like, oh, okay, well, if we're going here in a year, then it makes sense that we'd spend the next 90 days doing this. But the other, the on a bigger picture, Pete, to your question of like, what are some questions that just start off conversations? We all run into this situation in life on a fairly regular basis, almost daily for most of us. In I run into someone, I meet them, I'm introduced in some capacity, either they are a customer or I'm running into another parent at back-to-school night, or I'm on the sports field and I'm running into someone I've never met before, whatever. And all of a sudden, we're starting a conversation. And what do we do to begin that conversation? And a question that I really like, that I've used many, many times, is what's keeping you busy in life these days? Mm -hmm. And I'd like to ask really broad, open-ended, general questions like that And then stop and listen for where someone goes with that, because that is a question that almost anyone can answer and they can kind of take in any direction they want to go. If they want to talk about work, great. If they want to talk about their kids, great. If they want to talk about a hobby, fabulous. But then I listen for where they go with that. And then if I'm doing a good job of listening and being curious, then I just follow them down the path. They're like, oh, you know, you... Uh, you really uh, like to uh, spend time uh, going to the beach. Tell me, where do you go? Uh, like, what do you, what kinds of things do you like to do at the beach? Uh, or, oh, my job's really busy right now. Oh, what's uh, what's causing it to be so busy? You know, and then then you start to have a conversation that is following their agenda and their path versus me imposing what my agenda or my path might be. I like that. Good stuff. So, you know, you mentioned that this was a learned skill for you and that uh, you didn't always have it. And I understand there was a time in your career where you failed with this in a big way. Oh my gosh, so many times. <laughs> it's hard for me to nail down just one. I grew up, and I'm not sure what caused this. Uh, I'm sure there's some psychology behind it, but I, I just, 
I grew up with a view of the world as very black and white and, uh, you know, things were right or wrong and there wasn't necessarily a lot of gray zone in between there. And I can remember very early on in my career, I was the general manager of an education center and I could, I have this very distinct memory of a couple of years into my role of a customer coming into our center and they had signed an agreement for a first month of our program and had paid some money. I don't even, you know, I, I don't remember the logistics of how the agreement came together, but they had basically signed to do this agreement. And if they didn't cancel, they got charged for the next month, that kind of a thing. And long story short, whatever, I don't remember the details anymore, but the customer didn't do what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to cancel something by a certain day or send a letter or something, and they didn't. And so they got charged for the next month. And they came to us as any customer would in that kind of situation and said, you know, what happened? We got charged again. We didn't do this, use this service, whatever. And Pete, I just, it didn't compute to me that we would do anything different other than uh, follow the rule of the contract that was there and not refund them for it. And they were upset. They were really, really mad. I remember talking on the phone with uh, this gentleman and he was, he was angry. He was yelling at me on the phone. And I was very polite. I was very professional, but I, I said, well, you know, we, you didn't submit the document by the day. And so we can't make an exception to a policy that we have as a business. And so he called my regional manager <laughs> and complained to him. <laughs> and Pete, I called the regional manager too. And I made my case and I was right in the letter of the law, the contract. I was absolutely right. And I convinced my regional manager I was right. I convinced his boss. I was right. I convinced her boss that I was right. This whole well, thing. Well, how long did this take? Oh, days, Pete. Days of my life. <laughs> so the boss's boss's boss. <laughs> it did. It went all the way up to the desk of the person right below the CEO of the company who got one whiff of it and was like, what on earth? <laughs> she must have seen it and just like been banging her head against the wall. This whole thing, when I tell you the dollar amount, you're going to be horrified. It was over like $120. And I had spent days convincing everyone in our chain of command that I was right. I had made the case. And the customer, of course, at this point is livid. And our senior executive finally put an end to the misery and said, refund the customer. And I was livid, Pete. I was absolutely livid. And I told my regional manager, I'm like, I'm not going to follow through on her directive. You know, there's not a lot of times in my life where I've never, I've never been in the military where I've gotten a direct order to do something, uh, but there right. was a clear direct order to <laughs> refund this customer. Yeah. And so I issued the refund. I'm like, okay, well, whatever. I lost and this issue is done. And of course it wasn't done. I can recall seven months later, families in the community would come into our business and they would talk to us about the program. And people would say, oh, I really like what you're doing and we'd love to sign up our family for this membership. But I heard that you all treat people really poorly when disputes come up. And this particular family, they had gone around and talked in the community about just what a poor job we had done as a business. And by we, I mean me, of treating someone poorly. And it had never occurred to me, Pete, to do anything different than that. That we had this contract, we had these rules, we asked customers to follow them. And when customers didn't, and of course, I was right in the letter of the law, but I wasn't using common sense. And that whole situation, and I'm embarrassed to say, I can't even remember the name of the people involved of the customers. I remember all the people on our side, but I don't remember the name of the customer. And that was 20 years ago. And shortly after that happened, it really caused me to do a lot of soul searching around not just customer service, but more broadly, 
of how do I handle relationships in my life when something happens and something didn't work for another party? And I am proud to say there's a lot of things I haven't figured out in life and I still make mistakes on, but that is something I have shifted 180 degrees on where a year later I became known as the champion in the business of the person that we do not have fights with customers. We find a way to solve problems, but it was not something that came naturally to me. And I think that for a lot of us, like we get in those situations where there's a really rigid framework or there's expectations and we don't think sometimes to step back and to really think about, yes, there's a framework here, but what are we trying to do in order to actually serve this person? And does the framework sometimes get in the way of serving this person well? Yes, that's very well said. And I think a lot about sort of the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. I guess in certain circumstances, like the IRS, <laughs> they don't really care about the spirit of the law. Right. But, but in most sort of human interactions, like uh, friend to friend or, or business to customer, the spirit of the law matters plenty. And so the, the spirit of the law is, hey, don't don't flagrantly abuse the, the subscription and get way more than you paid for. And if there's sort of a, a day or a couple grace period, then, then by all means, do that. And even yeah. credit card companies, which don't have the best reputation for delighting customers, will usually waive a late fee if you oh, give yeah. them a call and ask. Oh, yeah, so. absolutely. <laughs> We're all human beings trying to get through life, right? And at the end of the day, there's policies and there's structures, of course. But like when we can treat people in a human way, I mean, it's funny you mentioned the IRS. I had this sort of funny, <laughs> speaking of the IRS, this funny situation where the IRS sent us a check a couple of years ago. And I was thinking, we're not owed a check by the IRS. Like, what is this money doing here? And so I sent it back. <laughs> and it turned out we really were owed the money. We had made a mistake on our taxes. And so long story, I had sent the check back. And you know how it is. It takes forever to kind of figure that out. The IRS was perfectly wonderful. Like I sent them a letter. I explained the situation, what happened, why I was an idiot. <laughs> and, and you know what? They were, they were gracious. They were, I think it was even like they sent back this funny letter of like, Oh, no worries. Have fun <laughs> with the money. I was like, if you really stop and take the time to think like, okay, how do I explain this to the other party? How do I walk through what happened? How do I think about it from their perspective of having to handle thousands of these situations and just make it as easy as possible? how quickly things can resolve themselves. Well, that is good that, that you, you talked to some, some good folks there. And I have as well had some good phone conversations with the IRS when, when you got the actual people there. Well, so in addition to that worldview, uh, I'm intrigued to hear about sort of like when you're in the actual moment of conversing with someone and you're, you're curious and you're listening, it really seems to me as though uh, you've just sort of have all the time in the world. You are in no rush and I, or the person you're talking to, is the center of your universe. And I'm curious how you do that so consistently when I observe you. It's impressive, and I don't know if you're if you're meditating or if you got super uh, GTD, getting things done practices, so, <laughs> so everything's off of your mind, uh, or you just feel well-equipped for all of life's many demands, but I don't get a whiff of being rushed from you. And frankly, I'd like more of that in my life when I'm conversing with people. So uh, what are your secrets? Oh, wow. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you to say. Hmm. What would be my secrets on that? I, I guess I would say two things. I was not a popular kid. I was always the kid who was picked last for a sports team. I hope they do this differently in schools now uh, than they did when I was a kid. 
I didn't have a ton of close friends when I was a, a really young kid. And I was and still am in some ways the classic introvert. And so I know what it feels like to be unheard and unnoticed. And I think that I have a wish and a desire for the places where I have the privilege to connect with people, which is very, very few places in life. But but the, the places where I do have that privilege, if I can create a space for at least a few moments of being heard and being seen, like to me, there's something that speaks to me at a visceral, fundamental values level of just being seen and being heard. So I think that's the value behind it that drives it for me. On a practical level, I don't use a task list. I run my day off a calendar. And okay. I forget who I got this hack from a while back, but um, someone had done some research on looking at the most successful people out there. I don't know how they figured out who was successful or who wasn't, but they figured out and they looked at people who, how they planned their day. It may have been Kevin Cruz, by the way. That does sound right. Yeah, we've had him. Yeah, it may have been Kevin Cruz. I think I heard an interview with him. And what was interesting is they they found, and he found, I think, that if you look at the people who are really successful, that they tend to run their days off calendars, not off task lists. And I thought, oh, interesting. And so I started really working my day around a calendar of I have blocked an hour or two hours or four hours or half hour, whatever time to do this. And that ends up benefiting me in a couple of key ways. First of all, I'm really bad with the task list because I just am going to chase whatever the shiny thing is or what the thing is I feel like doing in the moment, which usually is not what I should be working on, right? <laughs> so if I have spent right. time in advance, like usually the week before thinking through, oh, what should I really be doing on Thursday morning? What would be the best use of my time? I make way better decisions than if I try to make that decision in the moment. But the other really good side effect of that is what you described is I already have Thursday morning from 10 to 11 a.m. blocked off. So I know that that's my time with Scott or with Pete or with Bonnie or whoever in my life that is important, either professionally or personally. And it makes it easier to set aside everything else and to stay there in the moment because I'm not in the moment trying to decide what should I be doing? What should I be doing right now? What should I be doing? Because I've already done that. It's not that I don't have all that chaos going in my mind. I just try to confine it to once a week. <laughs> so I go through that no. process. <laughs> and then when it comes to the day, I just work the calendar that day. And that allows me to then be more present with someone. If I don't need to be sitting there thinking like what's next on my task list, because that already got thought through in advance. Instead, I can be present with the person I'm with. And uh, I am sure there are times I fail at that a lot, but I know that I am better than I was when I used to run my day off a task list. Oh, that's great. And so I'm curious then over time, do you just have the discipline such that when it says you're doing this thing on your calendar, you, you consistently just do that thing? Consistently is probably a stretch even now. <laughs> there are days that I'm really, really good and really disciplined. And there's days I completely go off the rails and most days are somewhere in between, right? But I'm generally pretty good at getting the big things done. If I've blocked two hours to do something of significance, I generally do that. It may not always be in the exact two-hour time frame I found, but I generally have done that. And, and by the virtue of putting together a calendar, there ends up being, okay, I blocked two hours to do this, an hour to do that, and two hours to do that. What order they happen in, what time of the day, what gets pushed because some other meeting pops up or something like that happens, you know, or sometimes something gets pushed to the next day or next week, which happens all the time. But just having gone through the thinking about that, I'm thinking usually in the framework of 
okay, there's two or three big things I need to get done today. I've said I'm going to do. And if it turns out that something's going to prevent me from doing those, then I need to make a choice. I need to make a choice to be able to say to the person or persons who are requesting time or resources, I'm not able to make that commitment today. Or I am able to say to that person, oh, oh yeah, I, I am able to accommodate that. Here's what I'm not going to be able to do as a result of that. Or I just decide that on my own if it's something that's more specific to me. Mm-hmm. And what I find, it's like Eisenhower said years ago, plans are worthless, but planning is indispensable. Having gone through the process of thinking about what's important, and then when other things come in, I do a better job then of being able to focus my time on the things that are hopefully the most important things. Actually, I had not heard that quote before, but I love it. I'm pretty sure it's an Eisenhower quote. Yeah. <laughs> we may discover otherwise when we go do the that's notes. <laughs> good. Well, and I think that's applicable. Like if you've ever, I've kind of worked through like a decision matrix before. And yeah. It's sort of like in a way that the final product output of that decision matrix is like a, a spreadsheet or something. And it doesn't really matter that much, but having rigorously thought through all the stuff that goes into it, you feel pretty good. Like, oh yeah, okay. It's clearly option B. All right, boom, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. And it is really remarkable how spending a little bit of time thinking that through or thinking about the meeting that's coming up or thinking about connection points with someone of significance for a relationship, like doing some thinking about that in advance, even if it's just a minute or two, really does make a big difference then of how you show up and how present you are or not and what then drives that interaction. Very cool. Well, so I also want to get into a few of your, I don't know if they're adages or concepts, but I've heard you say that small talk leads to big talk. Tell us about that idea. Yeah, uh, I borrowed this from my friend Nathan Shubai, who's also a Dale Carnegie instructor. He has these, he does these beautiful two-minute videos teaching people about human relations skills. I'll, I'll send you the link for it because he he's uh, really masterful at doing it. And he made the point recently: if you wanna if you wanna get to big talk, uh, you need to start with small talk. And I thought, boy, that's that's so brilliant. That's one of the things that kind of got indoctrinated in me and, and doing all those meetings at Carnegie for years of hour after hour of connecting with people and sitting down and building relationships. Because I that is not my core skill set at all, Pete, like my core personality. As I mentioned earlier, I'm an introvert by nature. If I walk into a room of 30 people, my first inclination is to go sit in the corner and read a book or sit at the back of the room or not to raise my hand. That is where my mind just goes. And for all kinds of reasons I've learned in life that it's not always possible or practical or even the best decision to do that, right? So the thought of doing small talk with people is, I I think most people don't really like small talk. A lot of people say they don't like small talk and I really don't like small talk. (laughs) You know, I was like, the thought of sitting down and having small talk with someone for like, you know, 30 minutes is just not at all appealing. And I really changed my mind on that over the years of going through and doing all these interactions and meeting people and connecting with people is that if you want to get to big talk with people and talk about things that are really concerning to them, the things that are important in their lives, the things that they're struggling with, the kinds of conversations that most of us want to have more of in life, that you start with small talk and you start small talk with just knowing someone's name and that you you can't make that jump. Most of us are not going to sit down with a stranger and get into a very in-depth, heartfelt conversation about the most important things in our lives without having built some trust. And you know, if you think about dating, you know, virtually no one goes on a first date and asks someone else to marry them. 
And yet, for whatever reason, in a lot of our professional relationships, we don't appreciate the importance of small talk. And so I've learned to, I don't know if I would say force myself because I don't think that that's the way I would frame it, but I've, I've certainly learned to lean into small talk more with people over the last decade than I did earlier in my career. And what I've discovered is there's a lot of times that you end up just having small talk and that's fine. And there's sometimes that small talk leads to really great, amazing conversations and beautiful relationships that would have never emerged had the small talk not happened. And so I've really changed my mind on this. And now I find myself more, it's still my tendency to walk in a room and be the quieter person, but I do find myself more engaging and just asking a couple of questions like, you know, what keeps you busy during the week, like I was mentioned earlier, because I find that oftentimes that will open the door to then ask the next question. And then the next time you see that person, you know a little bit about them and then ask the next question. And the possibility for a, a bigger and more heartfelt relationship to emerge. You know, I really love that because just having a view that there is value in small talk can change the entire game. Because uh, yes. I've been there before where it's like someone mentions, oh, yeah, so it's getting hotter out there, huh? And, and yeah. I'm just not in the mood. I'm like, seriously, is this what we're doing right now? <laughs> you know? Right. And then there's a right way to do small talk and there's not a right way, right? But let me also address something around small talk too, because uh, one of the other I think criticisms, rightfully so, of small talk is, well, people come up and they try to do small talk with me and they just seem really creepy. <laughs> and I get that. I've had people do that to me too. And I think that what keeps it from being creepy and being much more curious is the how you do it and the intention behind it. And so that's where asking a general question and then following people where they go is really meaningful. So if someone starts talking about their career, I ask them rather than going on about the weather or whatever else I was planning already to say is that I follow them where they go. So if they start talking to me about their kids, I follow down that path and I, I ask questions uh, you know, as they're telling me more about that. If they talk to me about their career, if they talk to me about their hobbies, I follow that path and I don't go down a path or a door that they don't open up, especially for someone that I don't know very well or have just met the first time. And I find that I rarely run into that with people where I sense that I've stepped on you know, an area that they're not comfortable with talking about. I think the way you keep it curious is that you let them lead you where you want to go, where they want to go rather, and that that illuminates the path for the conversation forward. And if they're driving that, then they are in control and they you're learning about them and you're learning about one aspect of their lives. Yeah, I like that metaphor there in terms of they open the doors and then and then you enter them. And I remember one time I had a perfectly bad date and it, it seems like I kept trying to open some doors like, oh, hey, let's have some fun. You know, we can have a conversation. And she just sort of didn't, I'm thinking about the opposite of yes and from improv. It was just like, mm. no, not going there, you know? And uh, in terms of, it was just, it just sort of like little things like, okay, not exactly, you know, just sort of like shut down, you know, not entering this door, not entering that door. And then later I remember she texted, oh, I had such a good time. I was like, really? This was, <laughs> this was a terrible date. Are you just being polite or is or, or is that what you, or were you having fun? <laughs> I don't understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it's so much is about how we ask questions too. And I think about like going back to that general question of like, what keeps you busy these days? The generic question that so many people ask is, what do you do, right? 
Right. And that just that there's so much baggage in that question. First of all, it assumes that the person works, which may or may not be true. They could have lost their job today. They could be on unemployment. You just never know what's really going on in a person's life, right? And maybe they don't work and they choose not to. Maybe they're retired. Like, who knows, right? The other thing that it assumes is I like my job enough that I want to talk to a stranger about it. Mm -hmm. And that's absolutely not the case for a lot of people I've discovered (laughs) over the years of like, gosh, you know, work is work. Uh, and it's not something they really want to talk about outside of the workplace. And then the other question that seems to come up a lot is some version of, do you have kids? At least in the circles I'm in, you know, where we have young kids and like, oh, do you have kids, family, all that? I really try to avoid any ever asking someone a question like that of someone I don't know. Oh, yeah. We've been struggling with infertility for a decade, Dave. Thanks for surfacing this. Yeah, as my wife and I did for seven years and almost didn't have kids. And um, and so my I feel like a tremendous amount of heartache for people who want to have kids or for whatever reason children are in their lives uh, or have chosen not to have children. And especially here in North American culture, there's there's the assumption that, well, if you didn't, didn't have kids, like, well, what's going on? And I don't want to even go down that route. If someone opens the door and the first thing they say is like, oh, let me tell you about my kids, well, go for it. Like then, then I'm asking all kinds of questions about kids and family, but I wait for them to open that door. And that's why that, that general, like, just being really broad at the beginning of asking some of those general questions and just seeing where the conversation goes, I find it's just a really nice and easy way to start the relationship, but also to do it in such a way that honors wherever the person is showing up. Oh, you know, that is so excellent. You know, Dave, I love the way you are just clearly articulating some of the mystery forces for why do I like that person and why do I not like that person? And why was that a good conversation? Why was that not a good conversation? You're just sort of shining a bright light on on the distinctions that then make the difference. So this is super valuable. You also have a distinction. I've learned about prioritizing relationships over agenda or content like when it comes yes. to events or conferences. Tell us about that. Yeah, I really do try to think about if I'm going to show up somewhere or we're going to do something like, what are we trying to achieve uh, in this? And I think about uh, you and I, when we first met, we met at a conference for podcasters. Believe it or not, there are conferences for podcasters. And when I showed up at that conference, I wasn't thinking that much about what would be the sessions I'd go to. In fact, I, I think I only made one session at that whole conference. What I was really showing up to do was to build relationships with some key folks, and you're, you were one of them, and with the intention that those relationships would go long term. And, and in fact, you and I and a bunch of other podcasters are work together uh, regularly and have a mastermind together where we're helping each other. And that was the direct result of showing up for that event and thinking in advance, what are the relationships that I want to build versus what's the next thing on the agenda at this conference? And that's because that's what most people do, right? They show up at a conference or an event or professional development activity, and they follow whatever's been laid out. And by the way, that's a wonderful place to start and not or. And what else do you want to get out of that experience for you? And how can you then make decisions that will help you to really get out of that experience what's most meaningful and what's most beneficial. And most people don't spend the time to do that. So if you are someone who's willing to do that and take the lead on that a bit, that's something that I think is really special. As much as I'm an introvert, and I still don't know what drove me to do this, Pete, years ago when I attended a conference and I just, I didn't know hardly anyone at the conference. I had traveled internationally to this event 
Uh, there were a whole bunch of people in the room that I was like, wow, there's a lot of people here that I feel like I'd like to meet. And yet I don't know hardly anyone. Uh, like, what can I do to build relationships? And I, there was a breakout session at one point, And I, it's hard for me to imagine me doing this 20 years ago. But at the end of this breakout session, I just stood up um, as people were leaving the room. And I said, hey, for anyone who would like to, I think it would just be fun to have a conversation about this wonderful workshop we've just experienced. And lunch is next. I am going down to this restaurant in the hotel or whatever it was. And anyone who'd like to join me, I'd just love to have you join me for a conversation about this. And like 20 people followed me out of the room. I was amazed, Pete. And that was kind of one of the first times that I was like, oh, if you show up with some intention around relationships, it's really interesting what you can create. And it was a, it was a wonderful experience because of that. Oh, I love that so much because because I've been there. I'm in the conference. It's like, okay, lunch is coming up. I don't really have a plan. I don't really know anybody in my vicinity. Uh, and then it's like, oh, it's a lifeline. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Uh, now I have a lunch plan. You've saved the day. Well, and that's what happened is a couple of other people who who did end up coming with me that day. A couple of people said like, I'm so glad you said that. I was th- I was kind of thinking that in the back of my mind, but I just uh, I never would never thought for me to do it. And I'm not sure what possessed me to do it in that moment, but I'm so glad that I did. And I I think that that's the, if we, all of us can stop for a minute once in a while and just like, okay, let's stop and think about like, what's the human relationship piece of this? How can I get better connected with people? Um, How can I care genuinely about folks better? And if we're willing to, in most situations, stop and think about that for a minute, you know, we can pretty quickly think about like, okay, what, what could I do to make a more genuine connection in this case? And I'm still struggle with that every day, but I'm better at it than I was five years ago. Yeah, I really like that. And what's interesting is I'm thinking now in terms of the sort of content versus relationships. I was recently at Podcast Movement again, and I, I wanted to go to this session. I thought it'd be really interesting, but I just got, I got caught up talking to people, <laughs> so which is a good problem to have. Yeah. And so, but then afterwards, I saw people leaving the session and it, I kind of got a two for one deal because I said, oh man, I really wanted to make it to the session, but I kept bumping into people. What were some of your biggest takeaways? And they said, oh yeah, this, 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 and this. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. And oh, so then, smart. Well, you know, now I'm talking to yeah. somebody and I got the content and a, and a new uh, relationship in less time. I was like, oh, I should do this all the time. <laughs> oh, super smart. Yeah, there's, we've done a couple episodes, I'm sure you have too, over the years of just like how to really kind of rethink showing up specifically at a conference and building connections with people. Because there's, especially nowadays, so many conferences, you can get the slides afterwards, you can get the audio, you can get the video. Almost all conferences have some ability to do that online now. And so the missing the content piece is even less an issue than it used to be. And But the relationship building, you can often only do in that moment, at least in a, a natural, organic way. So I think being able to think about that and prioritize that is really key. And I found that if in most situations in life and in business, if I will spend some time up front building the relationship, the content, the project, the issue, the disagreement, whatever else that ends up coming up in the course of work, which does for all of us, ends up not being as big an issue because we already have a relationship. We already have trust or at least some trust. And that stuff gets resolved faster. And if you don't have that, then all of that consumes your time and becomes a huge issue and a lot of effort like me years ago, spending days of my life <laughs> trying to save $120 on my P&L, right? And being right, more importantly, but at what cost? And it feels better, but it's also good business too. 
And I think if anyone's thinking, oh my gosh, relationship building sounds great and fun, but I'm so busy, I got so much stuff to deal with, there's no time for it. It sounds like you're positing that in fact, the time you invest in building these relationships will be more than paid back by by time saved uh, dealing with the stuff. It's certainly been my experience. And the common frustration point I hear from people is they'll say some version of, well, I don't like networking. I don't want to go to networking events. And Pete, the thought of going to a quote unquote networking event is like the last thing that I want to spend my time doing too. So I totally get that, that criticism of it. And for me, I just think like, how many people in my life today that I'm already going to see can I serve in some way? Because for most of us, that is a non-zero number. There is one or two or five or 20 people that we're already going to see in meetings that we're already going to run into at our kids' school, that we're already going to interact with in the grocery store, whatever the venue is. And what can I do to get a little bit better at noticing people and taking the time to ask a question and to learn something about them, maybe even just taking the time to learn someone's name. You don't need to go to a networking event to find the opportunities for that. In fact, I think it's better if we don't. Most of us have plenty of work to do with the relationships we already have in our lives to get better at doing that and probably are the relationships that are most important to us anyway. So why not start there? Um, I know I've, I've so much work undone with so many relationships, people I already know that I'd like to do a better job of being a better friend better husband, a uh, better dad, a uh, better, uh, better consultant of all the things that I do. And so I'm always glad to meet new people, but really my focus tends to be with the people I'm already connected with of how can I get better with the people I already know? Well, Dave, we got a lot of good stuff here. Tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we hear a couple of your favorite things. Oh gosh. I just think, you know, it's not about you. It's the same thing I tell folks when they're asking for advice on giving a really good presentation. Uh, I taught presentation skills for many years for Carnegie. And I would, at the very beginning of the six-week course, I would get up in front of the room and I'd say, here's the key thing to know about this class. It's four words. It's not about you. It's about the audience. If you're coming to give a presentation, you already know everything you're going to present. And yeah, there may be some benefit you get if it goes well, but it's really about how do you serve the audience well. And I think relationships are very similar. And to my point earlier, like in the long run, yeah, both parties should benefit. But don't don't worry about that at the start. How can I help the other person? How can I serve? How can I listen? How can I at least remember their name, if nothing else? And if I am willing to do that, and it not to be about me, at least for a couple of minutes, that I think the people who are willing to do that go way further than most people are willing to do. Dave, thank you so much. Good stuff. Could you share with us a favorite book? How to Win Friends and Influence People <laughs> is uh, always my favorite recommendation. But since I already mentioned that, uh, the other one, which fits in beautifully with this conversation, is The Coaching Habit by Michael Bungay-Stanier. Michael has done fabulous work at figuring out what are seven great questions that leaders can ask that do so much of what we talked about today and helping leaders to be curious a few minutes more. And it is the best book I've seen in the last decade on helping people to be more coach-like, which most of us want to be. And how about a favorite habit? My favorite habit is getting out and going for a long three, four, five-mile run because... My body is better afterwards, but my thinking is also better. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Coachingforleaders.com. And you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Don't 
worry about confidence. Try to do a little bit of courage. Pete, you and I both went to the University of Illinois. And when I showed up for my first day of my freshman year, there was, I lived in a residence hall and the RA, the resident advisor of that hall, got everyone together. It was the middle of August. It was like 95 degrees. No one wanted to be there. <laughs> this big hall meeting, I remember. He was trying to take volunteers for people to serve as floor officers. And no one wanted to run. <laughs> and so eventually this meeting got to the point where he said, like, well, who would just like to be the president of our floor this year? And I thought back to what a poor job I had done throughout my life up to that point of leaning into discomfort a little bit, of being willing to raise my hand, of being willing to speak up. And I sort of raised my hand. You know how you raise your hand for something, Pete, once in a while? Like you kind of want to get credit for having volunteered, but you don't really want to be picked. <laughs> <laughs> I sort of sheepishly started to raise my hand a little bit. And it, I, my hand was like halfway up. And he's like, Dave, you'll do it. <laughs> and like everyone else in the room was like, <laughs> like to breathe this sigh of relief. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I immediately regretted it. And it was the best thing I ever did in my life because I can trace back that moment to campus leadership, to getting recruited for some organizations, to getting to move cross country, to the jobs that I had, to meeting Bonnie, my wife, to doing the work I'm doing today. Had I not raised my hand sheepishly that day, I would not be doing this. And so all that to say, it didn't come with confidence at all and still does in a lot of days, but it came with a little bit of courage. And so my invitation to anyone listening is don't wait for confidence, but be willing today to do something, maybe just one little thing that's a little bit courageous. And if you do, you will open up new doors. Dave, thank you. This has been such a treat. You have been a blessing in my life and, and now for, for all these listeners. So thank you and, and keep doing what you're doing. The feeling is mutual. Thank you, Pete, for all the work you do on this fabulous show. I really loved Dave's reframing of small talk. If you're like, you're seriously ever doing this now, the weather, he brings it in terms of, hey, small talk is just an opener that can lead to the big talk. And if you bring an intention of curiosity, how can I discover as much as possible with those great questions? What's important to you? What are you trying to accomplish? Where are you going? What's keeping you busy? What are you excited about? Some of those pieces, we've also heard some allusions to them from Vanessa Van Edwards back at 480. Golden Stuff, Nice to hear a good reinforcement there. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F486. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe. If you do, you'll catch our next guest. It's Erica Mandy. She's the host of the Newsworthy Podcast, which I've been listening to just about every day now. There's been a lot of podcasters lately. That's what happens when I get back from podcast movement. Hey, they got great microphones and audio quality, and they've given a lot of thought to their stuff. So I think they make fine guests, and I think you'll agree. So I hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. 
hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence.